What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I remain Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out this week. We review them and we offer harsh and fair opinions. Let's what? be honest. We're so fair. Promise we are any fair. of that. Don't even as set well as us up well for reasoned failure. and well planned discussion Ooh. where we delve into each book and we never Ooh. make jokes. Let's say we said joke. fair and balanced before Fox News did, and now that they've abandoned oh. it, we're taking it back. We're <laughs> fair and balanced. <laughs> well, okay. let's see if we're fair and balanced about this first one. Titans Beast World, number six from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Ivan Rice, Lucas Meyer, and Eduardo Pensica. We are finishing up the Beast World storyline. Beasts have no longer taken over the world. In fact, in this issue, the Titans fight back and change everybody back from Beast. But we have a bunch of different wars being fought on different fronts. We're, of course, going to get into spoilers for this issue as it changes Absolutely everything for the DC Universe once again. Here we are getting Gar Logan is dead, but they bring him back to life. We are getting Dr. <laughs> Hate, who is the evil Raven, is beaten. Or is she? It turns out that Dr. Hate takes over Raven and Raven is trapped now. And Amanda Waller is beaten. Twist. Or is she? Because she changed the Hall of Justice into the Hall of Order. The opposite of justice. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I'm sure some other things happen. Man, oh, you what spoiled you guys- the shit out of this. And also, I, I don't like your attitude about this. <laughs> all right. I don't like you making fun of comics while we're talking about a could comic. You, when you tell me you don't like my attitude, could you please phrase it as little rabbit foo-foo? I don't like your attitude because I would prefer that. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking That's about. That's funny. We said little bunny foo-foo where I'm from. Uh, I wonder what the difference huh. there is. Yeah. <laughs> it's regional difference. Are you fancy and I'm not? Because we're like... Bonnies, yeah, rabbit. Like, like it's a, a rabbit, a rabbit, a hare, little hare, foo foo. Uh, you loved Bugs Rabbit, that irreverent <laughs> cartoon character. Right? Anyways, I just like how he talked. I had fun in the Beast World uh, fun arc where everybody turned into beasts and then people almost died but then didn't. And then, you know, all the fun twists and turns that you love about comic books. I think this was a lot of fun. I love the and fact I, that the Titans were in it, love the Beast, love the world, and I love I number six. I love when it, Pete boils it down for, like, the regular <laughs> the regular Joe. He's like, these beasts, they're in the world, they're putting on their... Uh, they, they become they, bees. Be, they beasted out. We had our normal heroes to, like turn into beasts. You know, we had the Batman uh, werewolf thing. That was cool. I, that I was had fun cool. with that. Yeah. So go fuck yourself with your bullshit. No, listen, you are right, Pete. I think one of the main things that they were going for this event was not the world changing. Everything is over cliffhanger so much as fun. And that's something that I think we've kind of been getting from a lot of the DC events since crisis on uh, dark crisis on infinite earths night terrors was that way too, where it was like, Oh, this is kind of fun. And the Lazarus planet thing was like, it's fun. I'm having a good time. Uh, They're going for sort of more little hits of what's fun and what's interesting about this stuff. Well, and what I I liked about this, the balance that they strike with that, you know what I mean? Where they don't make it too weird where it's not fun, where they kind of push the envelope enough, you know? Well, I think uh, to to write to that, I feel like unlike your classic big events where it is line defining and everyone has to put a stop to the stories they're telling to focus on the event. These events lately are sort of like, no, you can still be telling all the other the Batman Superman stories concurrent to this um, and it doesn't interrupt it. So that does inherently lower the stakes a little bit for a line wide event when it's like 
it's not disturbing anything else. Uh, but that is, that's not a criticism. That's the status quo. What I like about this is that it is focused on the Titans exclusively, almost. It touched everyone, but everything sort of came back to them. Uh, Nightwing was the central hero, I think, at the end. Um, Ice Boy was, that's all. He wasn't the hero. He was he, the, he hero. was the hero. He was the hero at the beginning, and then he was the the victim, the rescue, the person they had to save Still by the end of it. I'm not saying he's not a hero, but I'm just in the narrative uh, progression. Okay, like he he became the mission as opposed to the person executing the mission. Um, but again, still focused on Titans. I like the way they came around and uh, resolved the the story in a way that felt good. And it really sets the Titans up for a great story going forward. Though I do think we're setting up for a Justice League Waller clash, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a Titans well, Waller clash. Conversely to what I just said, one of the things that got me kind of excited here is the idea that DC is doing some serious long-term planning with their storyline. Like we've talked a lot about how Amanda Waller is overexposed in the DC universe. I still feel that she's in a lot of books and a lot of like, here we go. I got my machinations in the background. So it's a little too much of her, but at the same time, one of the things that got me back into DC comics was hearing that they had spent two years slowly seeding, if I remember correctly, it was Infinite Crisis back in the day, where just like mm. putting little dots of things. And I love that. Like, I love just leaving things in the background. And the fact that they've since Dark Crisis had these events that just progress the story a little bit along the way, it started to get me excited here because I know we're leading to something. I don't know what that something is. They've said literally nothing about it. It may tie into apparently there's something that Mark Wade and Scott Snyder might be working on together that mm. might be like actual new 52 style total reboot of big, the DC yeah. universe, like big, love that huge change. Um, so we'll see. I maybe they're heading towards that. Maybe those are two unrelated things, but whatever it is, like there's an Uber story to retelling there, and I love the commitment to that. This feels very um, Marvel from like 10 to 15 years ago with Waller with sort of like Green Goblin, Dark Avengers rising mm-hmm. here. And I think that's that's fun to put the Justice League, which has always been a paragon and a universally loved team, a little bit on their heels. We're getting that with Amazon's attack and all of those sort of books that are, have been coming out lately that, that all of our heroes are being tarnished a bit in the DC universe, which is something they haven't really done before. So that's uh, an interesting change. Next up, Lilo and Stitch, number one from Dynamite, written by Greg Pak, art by Julia Giacomino. This is continuing Dynamite's big push into the various Disney characters. And this is the first time that Lilo and Stitch has ever had a comic book, despite having multiple <laughs> movies, multiple TV shows, and other things. What? What do you think is so funny about this? No, it's nothing. Just me being Please. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Sorry. In any case, this is directly following up on the movie, maybe the TV show as well. To be honest, I never watched that, but I thought this was absolutely adorable. If you like the co- if you like the movie, you're gonna like this comic book. They yeah. capture the voices. There's fun stuff with Stitch. There's fun stuff with Lilo. You get to hear them say "Ohana means family." It hits all the hits, but it gives you exactly what you want in that heartwarming way. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say this is a kick in the pants. It's really just a an adorable. And that, you mean fun. that as a good thing? Yes. To be clear, yes, that's exactly. a that's a Greg Park ism. That's right. From years ago when he it's did our live cut. show, and he said that was his big way of complimenting something was saying it's a real kick in the pants. Yeah, and um, so thank you for explaining. That's that his. To the that's his super type bananas. That's right. A, that's a right. nonsensical that thing started this whole thing that we've been on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I just wish I could talk to him about some of his inspiration. You know, I wish we could kind of get deeper with him. Uh, but I think this is a ton of fun and uh, a very adorable that feels like they pulled it right from the TV show and the movie. So uh, everything that Zelda Tron just said. I've never been a Lilo and Stitch guy. What? It's one, one of the misses in my Disney canon. Ooh, never... Mm. I think I've is made it Lilo or Stitch that kind of keeps you at a distance. No, none, none. Or is it Ohana? Is it family that you don't like? Yeah, yeah do I don't like family? that family stuff. Yeah. Uh, Ohana means family. Okay, well then I don't know what that means. <laughs> but no, it's just more family. like that came out in the period where I wasn't watching Disney movies. Now I'm definitely watching Disney movies uh, much more. <laughs> so. Uh, but blaming I, I, your children for the this not being in the rotation. No, it's not. I'm I'm blaming when I didn't have children and I was uh, doing other stuff besides like watching uh, Disney movies. Huh. There's other a time stuff? in your life where you don't watch Disney movies, right? Huh. Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't remember no? that time. You yeah. just throw a Disney movie on. You bring a date home. You're 25, <laughs> and you're like, all right. <laughs> Let's make out, and I'm just going to put a little TV on the background. Yeah, I'm going to stitch it up. What do you, you want to watch, watch Kronk's New Groove, or what do you want to watch? Yeah, Brave. Ohana means getting it on to Alex, it turns out. <laughs> uh, all right, why don't we move on and talk about Dead X-Men, number one from Marvel, written by Steve Fox, art by Jonas Scharf, Bernard Chag, and Vincenzo Carutu. And this is very complicated, so hang in there. But Back of the Hellfire Gala... The new five X-Men were voted on, and as they were coming out and being presented to everybody, they were murdered by Nimrod. They all died. Since then, resurrection is off the table. None of the X-Men are coming back. None of the mutants are coming back or anything like that. So leading into this series, we know that these five X-Men are going to play in some way. How do they come back to life? Maybe we're going to find out in this series. We don't. Really, or rather, and this is the spoiler here that I was really taken aback by. They're just alive at the beginning. This is much more of an Exiles riff as a series. Yes. As they're jumping to different parts of the multiverse, trying to track down. I'm not even going to begin to explain what's going on with Moira McTaggart or the Dominion or anything like that. I think it's pretty simple, Alex. Uh, <laughs> Moira McTaggart is the uh, the mutant that's launched all these different things. When she was resurrected multiple times, uh, she started a new right. timeline, which uh, ended up being the thing that was the different X-Men lines right at the very beginning of the Hickman run. And that right. led to all these different universes, which led to Fall of X, everything that has gotten us sure. here. But we had Sinister jumped in and he got her and he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to clone her multiple yeah. times so I can have several different restarts, like a save point where he can jump in and jump out, jump in, jump out. Jump in, jump out. Yeah. Relaunch the universe series so can become a Dominion. Dominion. So sure. but that is that's a simple thing. It's easy. You become a Phalanx <laughs> and you become a giant a space computer. Space computer. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Space computer. We all want to be yeah, a space computer. Everybody wants, right? They all want to be space balls. 
They want to be Spaceballs. That's what Mr. Sinister secretly wants. I'll tell you what. That's not anything we can question. We're not questioning why being a space computer is Spaceball. Spaceball is something we all want to be, so why would we ever question what this thing is? So anyway, what's happening here is just all these different uh, X-Men who are dead, but now they're alive. We don't know why they're alive, but they are alive. They're not the X-Men we want. They're X-Men we have. What they're going to do is they're going to go to a different universe and try to find a different Moira McTaggart universe where they can go and become that universe, track down her because so they can restart it and find a way to beat the yep. Dominion for the Dominion to become the Dominion. Easy. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for explaining that. Really Literally, that was just reading the opening matter. That okay, so here's what I book. want to mention about this book. So I have two big thoughts about this book. One big thought is going in, I was curious to find out how are they going to bring back these X-Men since Resurrection is off, is off the table. The whole cold open, I was like, they're not referring to this at all. It has to be at some point in the issue. And then what you just showed off is the recap page which explains how they came back, which is basically that Professor X and Rachel Summers in the future were like, we need an X-Men team. Bring back the dead X-Men team. Now they're alive. Here we go. That That's the whole explanation. And that part, I was like, what are we, what that is too little, too much at the same time. The other thought I have in the other direction, just to say something positive, is I love Exiles. If this sticks with them just jumping to the, through the multiverse, trying to track down Moira's and do stuff, great. Super into that. Agreed. Like, I think the run-in for this book and the the page that just listed the setup, I was like, this is so intense and unnecessary. Because what we want is just like... Hey, I picked this because the, the rationale is actually really good. There's a little bit of text page where they talk about like uh, Rachel Summers, like I want these X-Men. And Professor is like, those shitheads? And she's like, yes, I want them. And he's like, OK, it makes sense because they will be under the radar because they're not Omega mutants. And they're still good enough because they are X-Men and they have a specific power sets that we need to capture this Moira. And so I was like, yes, that's what I want. Crack team of underdog X-Men that come in and encounter a team of star jammers where Juggernaut is like a, a cool teen with cool hair. You got grown up Lockheed. You got Sunspot who looks like Mr. Fantastic. I want all of that. So my big note here is just simplify the front end and give us this like mainline shit that we're dying for. It's like the Jason Aaronification of this X-Men era, which I'm here for. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, I just want to say, Steve, I wish, I wish the X-Men were dead, Steve, and we could be kind of move on from this nightmare. <laughs> you were just hoping this is like a series of gravestones in this yeah. book? Yeah. 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 So just to review, Titans, Beast World number six, you love the focus on the Titans and the beasts of the world. Lilo and Stitch, you love both the characters, Lilo and Stitch, and dead X-Men, you <laughs> wish the X-Men were dead? Yeah, because okay. what is going on <laughs> in the X-Men book? Yeah. This is insanity. Who? I mean, to be like, fair, you're right. You're right. What we need Pete. to do is triple down on this more yes. Taggart shit because that's what everybody wants and is loving it. What are we doing, man? I no, I, I. To the point I was making earlier, I at least partially agree with you, just in the sense that I have read all this stuff. I kind of understand all this stuff, but this was a level too far of like, it why be do you this hard, this, man. Moira? It, it felt like 
maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like we skipped an issue. It feels like maybe this was supposed to come out after Rise of the Powers of X number two, which would explain a little bit of what's going on. Because mm. the place that we left off there was they were like, we got to go back in time before Moira McTaggart got her mutant powers and suss this out. And this issue, they were like, we brought back five X-Men, even though that's something we've said explicitly we can't do. They are trying to find Moira's from different timelines for what reason? I'm not honestly 100% sure, having read the whole issue. And also, Professor X wants to go back in time and talk with her versus shoot her in the face, which was the implication of the last issue. So again, it feels like there's a couple of steps that were skipped there, and I don't know if we're going to get them in another issue or not. Well, what they need to do is, to say it more slowly, is <laughs> they need to get to a Moira and fig and, uh Prodigy has a passive tele- telepathy, so he can pull from people's brains without it being the more aggressive type of telepathy. Uh, and so he needs to pull all of the information about her lives so that before she is killed and the timeline resets so they can try to stop it from going you, toward the Dominion phase. Where do you think you're making sense Dominion. right now with what you're saying? Do you think that that sounds... <laughs> Fun I'm saying the right words doing. of what this story is, and I'm saying it <laughs> slower than fun. I did earlier. It is. I'm saying I agree with you. It's overly complex, but the back half of this issue I think was fun, and this is what I want. I want the A team of X Men coming together to do an X Men named Random. Like they couldn't even. There's a dude, and his name is Random. Oh, no, I no. love Random X Factor character from back in the yeah, day. He can make guns with his hands. Pre-Krakoa. Pete, that's you love that shit. Era. Pre, that's pre. I was like, they're just making up fucking shit. They can't even. I felt like to your like, point, this book needs to be, be traveling the multiverse name. to find the robot lady to stop the evil space ball. That's what they need to boil it down to. There's a little too much going on. What is it is just me or I, I'm tired of X-Men keep coming up with this baby Hitler problem. It just seems like it, X-Men stories go around, grow around. Then we're like, oh, we kind of do this. We should go back in time and kill a baby Hitler move. And I just... Why does it keep happening? So you think your your end game is Hitler becomes one of the X Men? No, what I'm just saying with Mister the, the leader of the X Men. No, there was just like <laughs> X Men will be like this thing where like Mister Sinister is a real problem. Should we do a baby Hitler situation? And then it's like this more attack. And I was like, why does this keep coming up? It keeps coming well, up because Chris Claremont back in the day wrote a classic storyline called X Men: The Baby Hitler Situation. <laughs> Everybody loved it, and they always yeah. want to write stuff like that, and they always want to remake it. Okay. Yeah. And- I'm I'm sorry that I'm the asshole here. I apologize. You're not, though. I will agree with you, Pete. The multiversity of that is has infected all of our culture, including the comics. What some books we're going to talk about later. I'm like, you've. We don't need this. You're. Let's just tell some more stories, some more basic stories without starting in multiverse, starting with 50 saber tooths. Why don't we move on to some more <laughs> basic stories then in DC Power 2024, number one from DC Comics, written by N.K. Jemison, Cheryl Lynn Eaton, Lamar Giles, John Ridley, Darren Bennett, Sean Mattenborough, Aletha Martinez, Jarrett Williams, Greg Burnham, and Brandon Thomas. Art by Jamal Campbell, uh, Isaiah Fulmore, 
uh, probably Aisha Fulmar. I probably spelled that wrong. Uh, Sean Damian Hill, Edwin Galman, Dennis Cowan, Tony Atkins, and Moritat, Aletha Martinez, Dominic Domo Stanton, Janoy Lindsay, Carrie Randolph, and Serg Acuna. This is a, a collection of various stories that are focusing on different characters throughout the DC universe celebrating Black History Month, or the kickoff of it, rather. But the big standout headline here is it's N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell writing a new story, a epilogue to Far Sector that is so good. It brought me right back to the days of reading that amazing book. It is a wonderful edition. I absolutely loved it. Why? Yeah, like, why do we go away from amazing Far Sector stories that are just glorious? I'm just so glad that this not only this is an unbelievable collection of great stories and unbelievable ideas, but the starting it with like the banger one of Far Sector and John Stewart's Green Lantern is just awesome. It's a hell of a launching pad for this. And uh, yeah, this is just an all-star cast making fantastic choices and just unbelievable stories here. Yeah, you got to read If you read any of Far Sector, this is the capstone to it. You got to read it. But I also want to shout out the John Ridley story, which I really loved. Pure Blackness, beautiful art yeah. uh, by, let me pull up the artist real quick. Uh, also love the Spectre story, yeah. uh, which mm-hmm. we haven't. They're I've all been, great. I've been missing this Spectre. We haven't gotten Christmas in the in the green and white. Christmas in a and while. Montoya back together. That was yeah. so I great. love them. That was such a fun time. So in the this DC isn't universe. exactly a question, but this is a thing that I was thinking around that I wanted to throw by you guys when I was reading that story because that gave me that feeling of like. I love this era, and I couldn't really divorce that feeling from reading the story, which I still think was a good story, but how much does that play in when you're reading things, and how much should you divorce yourself from the view? You shouldn't get a divorce. You should try to work it out. Make it work. Yeah, yeah, don't. (laughs) No, but seriously, in terms of thinking about something critically... That pleasing feeling of nostalgia you get from like, oh, I loved why it when are you, Alan was Spectre. Why are you saying no to because that Because I part like of to think about how we think about things critically. That's why. Sure, yeah. and I can appreciate that. And listen, Cornell, sometimes it's okay to enjoy fucking things, man. All right? You don't always have to boil I'm things sorry down. I'm sorry I didn't go to like, pure pleasure Ithaca College, okay? You should have. It was a fucking ton of fun. Wait, so, <laughs> and, and let's just remind everyone that Pete majored in pure pleasure, right? <laughs> That's what you said, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, yeah. But uh, you it started was, your own pornography way, major. It was, way, it was way too much fun. It was way too much fun. Your college essay for Ithaca College was just rubbing your nipples for five minutes, right? And they were like, get him in here. <laughs> Number one prospect. <laughs> we need him. We, I, we need I him did, in this fresh I did test. take leisure in society. That was an actual class that I took. <laughs> See? Of course, Ithaca's gorgeous. Major yeah, in what you want. Come on. Uh, to your point, to both sort of both of your points, um, I feel like we, for whatever reason, the question and the specter, we play a little fast and loose in the DC continuity. We get some uh, Montoya question. Yeah. We less so Crispus and the specter uh, lately, but. I agree, like, with Pete a little bit here, where, like, I just want to enjoy this story and not... Because I understand in every universe, there's always a pullback to sort of the the standard. And the standard is the specter being 
this figure that is just like menacing and more like cold justice. But uh, spinning the characters out of Gotham Central into these roles is so much more interesting. And they're, they're, they're characters that I have much more of an affinity to. So um, I definitely appreciate this. I want to shout out the artist for um, John Ridley's story, Edwin Gullman, yeah. uh, Gullman, which was just really beautiful. Yeah. And sorry, I'm honestly forgetting. I know that the Brandon Thomas, Carrie Randolph, Sergey Kuna story, that was the last one. Which story was that? Because I'm completely forgetting. Uh, what, getting, whatever it was, I remember really liking that one uh, just because I really like that team in general. But whatever it is, great collection. Definitely pick it up. It's like over 100 pages, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You um, get a lot of bang for your buck on this. Absolutely. Great, great stuff. Local Man, number nine from Image Comics, written by Tony Fleeks and Tom Seeley, uh, Tim Seeley. Art so by the Tony. Dukes, you're talking about the Duke story. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that was great. The Duke signal story where he goes to the future and meets himself. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. And I love a good Kari Randolph art as well. Yeah. Uh, Local Man, number nine from Image Comics, written by Tony Fleeks and Tim Seeley. Art by Tony Fleeks and Tim Seeley. Pick it off of the big revelation of the last issue, or rather, revelation for our main character, where he realized the girl that he's been hooking up with on the side is behind everything horrible that's been happening to him this entire series. We are now dealing with the fallout from that revelation, uh, and it is epic, it's big, and it really kicks this title into whatever the next iteration is. Continues to be great. Justin, I know you really like this in particular. Why did you like this issue? I just love this series in general. I think this series is such a good uh, blending of these larger superhero stories with great just like uh, character work in this community. But more importantly, blending the tones of like high drama. There's big revelations here for uh, two of our main characters with some great comedy like uh, Tim Seeley is great at doing both of those things. And the rev- the moment when he's like, he accidentally confesses to the husband who's a cop yeah. that he's been sleeping with his wife was yeah. f- played for played for fun, but also had huge ramifications for the rest of the issue. Big emotional issue. If I've said this before, but if you're a fan of the famous Hawkeye run, the Matt fraction, uh, David Aja run, pick this up because I think it's right there. Yeah, I I think this is great. I really love the horseshoe moment. I thought that was really fun. Uh yeah, yeah. there's just a uh it's an amazing team. Uh you know, this is in such great hands. So, it's really impressive the depth of everything that you get in this in the story here. Uh plus there's tons of action and other stuff going on as well and the art is just uh just phenomenal. One more thing I want to say, like, there's no better story. I think there's a, a, tr- a great trend that I really enjoy where you have your backup that comments on the main story's action. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's doing it better than Local Man because the backups are fleshing out the world in such a way that just is so exciting. Yeah. Drive Like Hell, number four from Dark yeah. Horse Comics, written by Rich Dweck, art by Alex Cormack. This is the final issue of the series, which is basically Fast and Furious Goes to Hell. This ended great, I thought. I really had a blast reading this series. It uh, it gets bigger in terms of the action. This issue, the way that they figure out the problem at the end is very fun and silly. There's kind of a goofy tone that runs through this entire book, even with the big stakes that are going on, that I really enjoyed. 
Yeah, I loved uh, all the action, the car racing, the just uh, the truck, the all that kind of like smash 'em up kind of stuff. It was insane and over the top and in cool ways. And the art was such a cool kind of like style to set up this kind of like fast paced kind of car thing. So yeah, I just felt like it really. Uh, Checked a, a lot of boxes for me, and the the team was really good at getting this kind of vision across. I had a great time with it. Agree. We've talked to the <clears throat> to Rich uh, a couple times, and this book has come up a lot. Fantastic. I was worried that they were going to deal with a bunch of sad things happening mm-hmm. um, in this book, and instead, we just had the fun. So shouts to that. I really thought we were going to have to have a whole situation where the girlfriend was going to die. And instead, we just had some fun, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Shouts to pure pleasure at all costs. You know? <laughs> right? My guy, Pete. Avengers, Inc., number five from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Leonard Kirk. This is the final issue of this series, the final abbreviated issue, even though they did finish up the story. We've been following a detective agency with out-of-costume Avengers run by the Wasp. Turns out her enemy in the background was none other than Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man, who is putting together a new lethal legion to try to stop Ultron, which has infected his brain. It's a little complicated. Picks up on a couple of different storylines that have run not just through Al Ewing's work, but also a very long history with Hank Pym as well. And we... Mild spoilers here, but we end up with a new iteration of Ultron. We end up with a new status quo for Hank Pym. We end up maybe with a new team of Avengers at the end here. Um, I will say I was really in the tank for the series, and I still think that her Kirk's art is great. The action is very dynamic throughout. Yal Ewing knows his way to run around a story. But man, you could really feel that they reduced this from 10 issues to five issues. And it's such a bummer that more people didn't read this because I would love more original ideas like Avengers solving noir mysteries. And that's not what we got. We got that for three issues and then it very quickly wrapped up. And that stinks. Well, I mean, when you say it like that, now it's not fun to talk about. So thanks a lot. But <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, first off, the the inking and the art style in this was such a cool kind of vibe and tone for this book with all the action and kind of, I I just felt like it did such a great job of kind of sucking you into this different, uh, a little different than what you're kind of used to when it comes to kind of Marvel art. So I really appreciated that. Um, yeah. And I, I just felt like, uh, you know, it was just like a big, fun kind of action thing that, uh, you know, I mean, maybe was smashed together, but uh, I I appreciated all the action at once. You know what I mean? I felt like it was very economical. The whole time I was reading this last issue, I was thinking about you, Alex, because I know how much you love this book. And uh, I, w- I actually thought it was nice. They, they brought it to a nice close. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they anyone will follow up with these threads, uh, but it. it this is the first time I've really enjoyed where the wasp took center stage and was able to be like a real leader in, in recent Marvel continuity. So that was cool. The idea that though, that someone's going to pick up and be like the character I want to deal with uncle Mark, who's Ultron sort of, I was like, I don't know if we're taking this thread uh, to the next level. Well, we'll see. I mean, Al Ewing has shown 
Then he went from a Ant-Man series to a Wasp series to this series, which is a direct sequel to that. Maybe he's got more in him. Maybe we got Uncle Mark is coming. This yeah. guy loves bugs. Loves bugs. Batman loves and Robin, bugs. 2024 annual number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Howard Porter in this oversized issue. Batman and Robin go on a good old father-son bonding road trip. They go camping and nothing bad happens to them. And that's pretty much the end of the issue. Uh, go fuck yourself, man. No, I had a blast with this and I don't. Why, why go fuck yourself why? is what I'm saying. There's no because reason to like, go. He was like, ah, this is not. Uh. No, this is. No, uh, I was uh, making a joke about how, of course, things happen to them. They're Batman and Robin. That's what comics are. Yeah. They're not going to have an issue where they go on a camping trip and nothing happens to them. I was joking with that. Let me ask you, Pete, did you really think that Alex thought nothing happened in this? No, but I think that he was being cavalier with how the like they were like, we're going to go and rough it. We're leaving our weapons and and stuff at home and we're going to go. That's literally the premise of this comic. Uh, I know. And so I what I'm saying is I thought it was a fun idea. Very well executed. A touch of sweetness to it. I love when Batman is a big softy when it comes to Robin. So I I thought this was adorable and a great kind of uh, bonding uh, time for old Bats and Robbie. And uh, yeah, so I um, you know I didn't I didn't like the uh, the undertone of what he was the what he was there's doing. No there. undertone. I think there's no undertone. I think no. Alex there liked this issue. Tone. I did. Um, I also like this issue. The Howard Porter art is really nice. Oh. Joshua Williamson, just great at getting into a boots-on-the-ground character story that is both sweet and action-forward. Let me ask you guys, what are your, what's your experience camping? Have you, how hard have you guys roughed it lately? Oh, well, lately? Not lately, no, but well, as a kid, uh, yeah. you know, my, my dad had like a scoutmaster that he was – all about and uh this guy what was you like mean, all about well he was, was kind of like, like a father like a figure nemesis? To my dad. no he was like a father <laughs> he was figure. a dad's dad yeah and so he would like go and drop them in the middle of the woods and then drive away and they had to like figure out uh you know forage to get kind of shelter and food and all sorts of crazy stuff so i got all sorts of insane stories so when we went camping uh, you know, uh, and we had like canned food and stuff like that. My dad would complain, but my mom was like, the kids got to eat, Bill. Come on. Because <laughs> your dad would be like, I'm going to eat this squirrel's head. Yeah, he was like, I'm going to go fishing for, you know, food and, you know. <laughs> How did he do? Did he have any canned food or is he fully sustaining on the land? <laughs> oh, he had some canned food. Yeah. yeah, yeah did your dad do, uh, to participate in the TV show alone? Was he a contestant? On the- mm, no. No, but he was the, I mean, the dude was real deal. Like he could hunt fish the whole night. Should uh, we uh, do alone, the three of us? Naked and afraid? Is that what Not naked and afraid. Oh. We are that already. <laughs> <laughs> We're already that. Alone is where you go in the woods and you have to like survive for as long as you can. And if you di- almost die, they take you home. Oh. But you're like, you're glamping at the same time, right? Like, nope. Yeah. Like, you're like not. Glamping. You have some kind glamp. of. 
camping story queued up for us here? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I can say my experience with camping, but this is 100% a trap. I know this is a trap because (laughs) oh, I grew up in a tent. Yeah, this is how I I grew up in the woods. I have no trap. I'm just curious. Wall water. I have no. I'm sitting at a campfire right now. Yeah, that's right. What are, what is this? What is all this inside stuff? This machine that makes coffee. How does that work? I just eat dirt, and that gives me energy. No, we used to go camping all the time too. Usually, like my mom didn't really like to go camping. As Central far as Park. Yes, yeah, yes. When I say camping, I mean we would go uh, to the Museum of Natural History and look at the animals in there. That's camping, right? That's yeah. You know, no, the it's room that's like a little bit darker than the other room. <laughs> It's terrifying. We used to go up the Adirondacks all the time. Yeah, no. I actually don't know where we went, but we go a lot with like my dad and my uncle. Uh, yeah, and my brother eventually. So yeah. there you go. Uh, so yeah, and then we killed, to- we killed someone. Uh, so great book. I, man, I don't really talk about it too much. Uh, but that man was dead lucky, just like the dead lucky number 11 from Image Woo. Comics written by Melissa Flores, art by French Carlo Magno. We are following a bunch of different characters in a futuristic version of San Francisco as part of this massive verse series. Things are getting real complicated here, I got to say. Yeah. There are, I, I like this book, but there's a lot of characters. And maybe you guys had an easier time following the action here because I'm starting to get a little bit lost. Hmm. Uh, I hear you on that. I love this series in its first, like, six issues because it felt like really different and um, dealing with uh, PTSD in an interesting way as a, a filter to sort of exam to use superheroes as a way to examine um, PTSD, which I really liked. And then, yes, it's gotten a bit complex with some of the world building. I thought the back half of this issue though, really is getting us back to a big confrontation where maybe we will, sort of be able to bring these themes together and cut through sort of the more um, complex story that um, has been adding up. Yeah, I just, uh, I hear what you're saying. Uh, this did have a lot of badass fighting in it, which I uh, really loved. And the art is just, uh, man, very enjoyable. Uh, so, man, that was cool. Well, why don't we move on to another book where the art is very enjoyable. Somna, number two from Distillery, oh, written man. and drawn by Becky Cloonan and Tula Lote. We actually missed the first issues of both of Distillery's big books, Gone by Jock and Somna by these people that I just mentioned. Um, so <laughs> hopefully we're going to try to catch up with them because I do think what this publisher is doing is very interesting. They're doing limited runs, limited print runs of things. They're doing them. You can buy limited digital runs as well, which gets into all sorts of issues. I'm sure we could talk about it at some point. But here, the idea of this book is it is set around Salem witch trial times, I guess we can call them. We're following a woman who is married to a witch hunter who has previously had had to put down a witch in the previous issue. Meanwhile, she herself is having nightmares or dreams about a demon or the devil who is visiting her as night is becoming increasingly sexual as it goes. This demon or devil might be visiting other women as well. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's not. And that's what we're following up on in this issue as things get even worse in this tiny little pre-colonial town. Um, what'd you guys think about this one? I love uh, this. Don't I, read it in public. 
I, I love this. Like this is I, the the different art styles that are blended here between the dream world and the reality of our characters here. I thought was fantastic. the The story's great. It's a a story set in sort of the Salem and witch world that feels different. It feels more intimate and more sort of like in the room than so many stories like that feels like you're just observing and it's very moralistic and whatnot. This feels very is character driven. And I really like sort of riding along in the whole thing. I yeah, love it this. feels like, it feels like not the Scarlet letter when you read it in high school, but the Demi Moore Scarlet letter, like a little, mm. more, little more, you a know. little more Scarlet. I mean, you know, you guys tell me, I mean, do you guys have conversations with your wives about like, if it, if you have sex with the devil in your dreams, does that count as treating? Because like, I feel like, oh, you know, you can do whatever you want in your dreams, but when you walk in the door and you see your wife naked, it, dangerously close to a fire uh, clearly getting fucked by something that isn't there at that yeah. point you uh, gotta be like hey this isn't cool like dream fucking's one thing but like you know no we're pretty open we have a, like a thruple <laughs> slash open relationship with the devil so oh, like, it's yeah. pretty chill. Devil's, devil's your wife's hall pass yeah by yeah. two Oh, is that man. a is that a red flag or a beige flag? Like, <laughs> well, it's definitely the devil's red. The devil's my whole <laughs> Yes, uh, I will say on that moment. This is a spoiler for the end of this issue that you're talking, but you already mentioned it, Pete. And that moment is very dramatic, but it also was very funny trying to think about like I absolutely thought about it in a modern context. You walk in and your wife is like sort of distended. Sex. No, in sex. Mid-sex with the devil. Mid-sex sex with nobody. In front, completely naked in front of a fire and being like, oh, no, the devil has my wife. I was like, buddy, I got some but- just from a fire perspective, she must have like just loaded a bunch of logs on it because that fire is raging. So you think absolutely. the devil is like. No, I think when the devils, like the flames go up, I don't think she did that. I think the devils, like, you know. The devils having sex and also managing the fire? No, I think anytime (laughs) a devil is close, the fire is going to go up. I'm stoking two fires. I mean, we've all walked in on a a partner who's like (laughs) naked having sex with a devil. We have? We all have? (laughs) We all have. Is that something that's happened to you a lot? (coughs) Yeah, and Aaron, so then what happens is like, well, okay, tit for tat. I lay down in front of a fire and I'm like, all right. Come uh, at me, somebody. Just, just, you just yeah. lay there. And I'm, having, I'm, I'm having sex with a sexy female fox from Robin Hood. Oh, oh, dream. Oh, my That's God. my hall pass. Me, Marion, my dog. Oh, my Let's go. Too much talk about how sexy Robin Hood the fox is. Not enough talk about how sexy Maid Marion the fox is. I mean, they could both be sexy without <laughs> I mean, that's why they get together. I don't know what's happened anymore. I'm not sure. This is a absolutely gorgeous book. We have two artists at the top of the game. It's unbelievable. Tula Lotte, if you haven't seen her work on Barnstormers and other things, absolutely phenomenal. Becky Cloonan, I just wanted to shout out in particular as somebody that we've followed through so much of her career. She's doing such interesting things with the angles in her book and the characters. You know, there's a little bit of like. Clearly, she has her own style, but there was a little bit of the main character that feels to be a little Gabriel Rodriguez. She's channeling at certain oh, points. Yeah. And a lot of there's some angles, some specific panels with the statues in particular 
that feel very Mignola-esque to me as well. So again, Becky Cluden, very much her own artist, doing her own thing. But I feel like she's shouting out different things at different points as well. It's just, it's great to see these two people working together. It's, again, gorgeous looking book, very much adults only. But like you said, it's taking a very different look at this. The characters are interesting. I'm really curious to see where this goes. Last thing I want to shout out the colorists, uh, Lee Lowridge, uh, D. Conniff, and Tula Lote. The colors are fantastic in this book on both sides of the art front from the Tula stuff and and the Becky stuff. It's just really the, uh, the eye work on the Becky Cloonan pages is so good. Yeah. Spider-Boy number three from Marvel written by Dan Slott. Excuse me, art by Paco Medina and Ty Templeton. I'm crying because I love it so much. This is two stories of Spider-Boy in the front story. We are getting him dealing with being poor. Uh, And in the back story, he's fighting alongside Thor. So it rhymes. So that's fun. Um, Poor and Thor. Poor and Thor, yes. I really enjoy this book. This is a great all-ages book, like I've said with the previous issues. But one thing that I'll quibble with a little bit, I think Dad is riffing off of the classic Peter Parker never having enough money for stuff in the front story and what he's doing with Bailey Bass. When it's Peter Parker, who's a 20-year-old, and he's like, ah, geez, how am I going to pay rent? It's like fun, you know, like it's like a classic thing, like, oh, boy, what is he going to do now? What pictures of Spider-Man is he going to sell? When it's a child who's like, I don't have enough money to buy my food to eat, it's a little sad. Well, I agree with you. I feel like, you know, we love Dan Slott. I feel like he's playing a little fast and loose with the situation, like playing the situation where, like, he's literally, Spider-Boy is literally an orphan, who has who's he staying with a family in a homeless shelter and they're pretty like i just need some money i'm just like ah there's there's a lot of information here that feels a little bit mismatched from the stakes that -hmm. are happening but having said that like i i really like the action here i like sort of the the villain that is created slash slight spoiler hero and then um, the backup, I like this idea that Spider-Boy is a monster as well, that he has to it, – it takes the Spider-Man the mythos and puts it in a slightly different way, and, and that's nice. That's more interesting to me than some of the stuff happening in the front story. Yeah, Dan Slott's clearly having a blast here, and I'm happy for Dan. And uh, I think the art does a great job of matching the brightness uh, and kind of fun tone. Uh, it's almost like a cartoonish kind of uh, a look to it, which I think does a great job of matching what's going on. So, yeah, when you open it up, you kind of really feel what you're going to get, and they do a great job of delivering on that. And sure, yeah, if you stop and slow down and think about Spider-Man too hard, you're going to find some sad stuff. So uh, just keep it moving, you know what I mean? No, keep you can think about sad stuff. Nope, yep, keep it moving. That's what life is. Keep happy. Pleasure at all costs. Batman off. Pure pleasure. Pure pleasure, LePage. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing bad here. That's the motto of Ithaca College, right? Nothing bad here. Yeah. (laughs) Don't don't fucking. No notes. It certainly implies that something is bad there. I'm just going to say that's not the fucking slogan. Don't fucking try to come for Ithaca, bro. Ithaca Ithaca is gorgeous. Gorgeous full of corpses. Ithaca is corpses. Yeah. Ithaca, Ithaca College, nothing in that barn. 
Batman off world. <laughs> Dude, don't. This is not a fun bid that you're doing. You know what I mean? What are you protecting your alma mater? <laughs> are you really? Are you that? I, there's just you can't come for Ithaca, dude. You know what I mean? Like as our, a town or as uh, a college? As I would a college. never. I would never come for Ithaca as a town. Never. <laughs> I right, love dude, Ithaca. I, l- listen, I, college have bagels. Yeah. You the guys fight more about college cool. than anyone I know. <laughs> and by the way, college, long time ago, long my time guys. Ago. Long time ago. Why is this a top I of I just mind? hate this top of the hill fucking mentality looking no. down to this. What, this isn't yeah, upstairs, right, downstairs. Justin. Sorry, what were you saying earlier to the camping section about growing up and drinking well water? How long yeah, ago sorry. was that specifically? My college was drinking beaver piss in the woods. <laughs> hey. so, and I graduated. I want to talk about Batman Offworld. I love this comic. <laughs> Great. For number three from yeah. DC Comics, written by Jason Aaron, art by Doug Maggie. Pete, take it away. Yeah. So this is just. Uh, uh, love this kind of Batman training himself off world, this kind of like quest that he's going on. I love that he's got a giant space wolf with him now. This is just like fun things that I feel like I would do uh, with Batman if I was, you know, like writing Batman. And, uh, so I just feel like this is such a cool uh, idea and really well executed. Um, I just think the uh, the art and the pace of this is just really great. Uh, Batman, as uh, drawn by Doug uh, Mankey, as Frank Frazetta in space with a techno wolf, is just dope. Uh, and Jason Aaron's story, like, I've been really enjoying this. Superman Lost uh, has been really nice to see these characters like, uh-oh, I'm in space. I'm away from stuff. I do think it's funny that both of these books... Superman like has sort of a relationship, but then by the end of the book, he's like, ah, uh, no, nothing happened there. And same thing with Batman. He like is about to kiss this girl and he's like, ah, I can't. And I'm like, that woman, that's not a, they're not together. Like what can't these, can't Batman we kiss were on a break. space girl? Yeah. Let, let's just say, let's let, I want to have romance. I want this romance to happen. Let's go. Foul Mouth, number one, written by Steve. What, no take, Alex? (laughs) No, no, no. I I don't really have anything to add other than, yes, this book is dope, super fun. I'm surprised that they finished up the main action so quickly and are moving on to something else. But I think that's part of probably what he's trying to say about Batman is the fight is never done. So it's cool. Literally, Batman says... I feel like I'm not done here and no one knows what's happening. And suddenly it cuts to like two evil people who we haven't met before. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, Batman, whatever you got to do, my man. Foul Mouth, number one, written by Steve Renna, art by Sarah Davidson. A couple of months back, maybe longer, we talked to Steve about this book back when he was kickstarting it. And he sent it our way to take a look at it. So the idea here is regular Regular old girl gets infected with a demon who gives her the power to create constructs every time she creatively curses. Um, I even having talked to Steve about it and liked his stuff before I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm not sure. This is great. This made me laugh out loud several times. I think it's so creative with the cursing and the execution. It builds 
really, really nicely. And Sarah David's characterization is there's one battle when the main girl first gets infected by a demon and just has this long tongue hanging out and big eyes that is just hilarious on its own. I thought this was great. Yeah, Green Lantern for swearing. I'm in. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a really fun, uh, well-executed idea. I love the uh, uh, the creative premise of it. It's really just uh, artistically fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I love the power of swearing. It's fucking awesome. Mm, I get yeah, I, I see what you did hit. there. Anyway, this is great. Definitely pick this up wherever you can. Next up, The Incredible Hulk, number eight from Marvel, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Nick Klein. The final issue of this arc as Hulk teams up with a ghost rider from World War II to fight a big evil goop monster that's invading his mind. Pete, you seem excited, so take it away. Yeah, man, I can't wait until the next time I see Philip Kennedy Johnson because this is awesome. This is just such a epic cool, badass Hulk story. You have Ghost Rider teaming up with Hulk and just this giant evil monster that they work together to just to take down. Just, uh, just awesome. I mean, this is what I wanted. This is the fun of having a Hulk comic and the art is just so epic and does such a great job of rising to this challenge and making everything look just so badass. Yeah, the art's fantastic here. The leaning into the horror in a different way from the Al Ewing run, I think, is hard to do and a pleasant surprise that it's going so well. Worth it for the art alone. World Tree, number seven from Image Comics, written by James Town of the Fourth, art by Fernando Blanco. We are continuing to jump between multiple timelines as we find out more about this evil internet underneath the internet. After not exactly a break, but a little bit of a pause in the previous issue, we're starting to heat things up again with some big revelations. This is a fantastic series with some gorgeous art and twisty, turny storytelling. If you're not reading this, you're missing out. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I really enjoy this as well. There are a lot of characters in this book right now, and we're jumping through into different areas with them. This feels like something... It, this is one of those books that I'm like, ah, I should reread the previous issue before I read the issue in in the stack because it's really good. But there is a lot to just keep going. A lot like the internet, where you have to really have it all in your oh, head. All you, you, you gotta, gotta you gotta rabble. start at the beginning. Like yeah, yeah. when I hit something new, I'm like, Ugh, I gotta go back and read everything on the internet first. Uh, Every stop. day I wake up and I start with E Bombs World and just go forward <laughs> from there. <laughs> wow. wow. What is yeah, that banana I, have for me today? I mean, we've talked a lot <laughs> it's about peanut how, butter jelly time. I say, uh, yeah, I just right. think we've we've talked a lot about how great this is, and this continues to be really creative and interesting and cool and really well executed. So, uh, looking forward to more and seeing how this madness ends. Yep. I also appreciate uh, one of the upcoming covers has the naked lady on the cover, but she's conveniently covered by a railing uh, on all of, all of her naughty bits. So, like, good job. That's the way I am when I'm having waiting to have sex with some sort of devil in front of the fire. So you're I just put, naked waiting to get railed? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Exactly. Exactly. But I put some Austin Powers-style va- vases and stuff uh-huh. in front of 
That's what it reminded me of. This book, uh, that's a great comparison. If you loved Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me specifically, you are going to love World Tree. Avengers (laughs) Twilight, number two from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Daniel Acuna. This is a dystopian future where Avengers seemingly are no longer needed, yet turns out it's actually a fascistic state that is pushing down people. And this issue, now that Captain America has his super soldier powers back, is trying to fight back against them. He is not very successful, this issue. Mm. No, someone handed him the mic and he didn't have the juice. You know what I'm talking Uh. about? Oh, um, palms are sweaty. Mom's spaghetti. Oh, not ready boy. for it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, That's what Cap was not ready for, it. you know? We got it. Uh, I really wow. like the Daniel Acuna art in this. I think it really helps to establish this futuristic uh, nightmare world. And then, you know, we've seen uh, dystopian like this before. This, But I, I like this version of it. I like how we get to really suffer alongside Cap as he tries to figure this out. Yeah, I agree. Totally, the art is really impressive uh, with the darker colors here to kind of match this darker future. Uh, It's a really cool kind of iconic look to it. Uh, You got old Steve here. Uh, One of the panels was just so powerful. It was Red red Skull kind of holding a... uh, a decapitated kind of uh, head uh, from Ultron. So pretty just kind of badass artistically. Uh, since you already mentioned the spoiler of the issue, just to jump into that a little bit, I do really like this comic. I think, like you said, Daniel Akuta's art is absolutely gorgeous throughout. Um, it also, I not to be too repetitive, but really does match the tone of everything that Chip Darcy is going for. But I do wonder, not to jump too far ahead, what we're going to land on in terms of the themes of this book. Because the idea that Cap is a man, uh, once again, out of time and not able to connect with people and say, hey, fight against this fascistic state. But everybody's like, nah, man, I'm too busy. I don't care. That's interesting. It's something that I don't think I've seen before. The revelation of this issue that it's Red Skull and Ultron behind everything means that maybe we're heading towards like classic superhero fisticuffs, which seems to work against that potentially more interesting and complicated premise. So I I don't know. A lot of it is going to be the execution over the next couple of issues. Um, I'm curious to see where it goes. I will say Tom Brevoort in his newsletter hyped up the next issue as I believe he said, if not one of maybe the best single issue of Avengers he's edited in 26 years. So that's, that's a lot of pressure to put on that issue, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Well, that's, that's really exciting because I do, I like the ideas at play here. The idea that, in the past, Captain America does a rallying speech. Everyone's like, yes, I believe in America. And I think that's a very topical idea that actually speech is devalued in our current society because everyone's talking all the time on any sort of social media or public network in some capacity. So it has to change. And Luke Cage's speech is like, hey, no, we're just going to keep doing what we do because that's what we do. That's a good flip for Cap, where it actually isn't about being inspiring. It's about doing stuff, something that he also does, but is usually it's more about him being inspiring. So very much looking forward to the next issue. 
Batman Superman World's Finest 2024 Annual Number One from DC Comics, written by Mark Wade and Cullen Bunn, Dennis Culver, Stephanie Williams, and Christopher Cantwell. Art by Edwin Galmon, Travis Mercer, Rosie Camp, and Jorge Fornes. We are following a bunch of different stories in the world's finest part of the DC universe that Mark Wade first uh, that Mark Wade has set up, including some bad stuff coming for the fifth dimensional imps. Mm. Um, What'd you guys think about this one? Pete, I think you like this one, right? Uh, No, I just farted while you were talking. I think that this, uh, you know, the, Oh, is it, is it weird when someone goes over the line for you? Is it is it not enjoyable? <laughs> it's just like, uh, I don't know. It's more of a everywhere. college kind of thing. Uh, oh, like everyone has different lines. Yeah, there we go. Fucking top of the hill over here. Yeah, I just think that uh, uh, it's a fun collection of stories. Cute, adorable, kind of like, you know, young them. So that's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's fun. It's uh, Mitzelplik babies. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, Muppet Babies, who gets started with that? So, yeah, I, I'm having a great job. Uh, the Metamorphosed story um, is sort of, like, very dramatic for and sad for Metamorpho, I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of a surprising, like, where he's like, oh, my, I love this girl, but her dad is a jerk, but I work for him. I was like, this is very much like a sort of Patrick Dempsey movie plot uh, in a weird way uh the story i liked and i would love to see more of is um the challenge of the unknown story at the end awesome really good christopher cantwell jorge fornes on art uh really just to, to the point of sad like it's really heartbreaking what they're going through but yeah it's dealt with structurally in such an interesting way Jorge Fornes of course is always breaking up the paddle form in a fascinating way as well um really really good stuff I really like that really, as well. really love that I thought it was funny in the I think the second page of this story um they're like here we go forward into the unknown and I feel like if you're on challenges of the unknown mm-hmm. You shouldn't really be using challengers or unknown in your just daily. Of the? Is of the okay? Yeah, you could throw that. Oh, those you are could like, all the prepositions. Yeah, that oh stuff, God. yeah. <laughs> but if you're just like, uh, what do you guys want to get for lunch? It's like, let's get something unknown. It's like, okay, well, we don't need to always be challenging the unknown. Yeah. You don't what's talk your, about fa- your, what's your favorite shuttle disaster? Whoa, uh, <laughs> Jesus guy! Uh, I have so many. <laughs> oh my god, how could you choose? Anyway, what quest happened? number five from Image Comics, written by Jonathan Luna and Crystal Wood, art by Jonathan Luna. This is following a quest that several people on, and in this issue, a demon heart goes into a lady. What do you guys think? Yeah, this uh, lives up to the name. This is quite a. Uh, uh, quite a quest that they're on, and uh, you know, I, I <laughs> hate By the way, it. I just want to clarify: we've all read the issue. Go on, Pete. Yeah. No, I hate it. <laughs> I when have, you, and you have. I, I, I hate, I hate it, and I'm, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. I hate these X Men truly are dead. Uh, I hate it when you. This kill- beast world is full of titans. <laughs> I hate it when you kill a demon and then their uh, spirit goes into your heart. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's just so annoying, you know, because it's like you killed the demon, it should be over, but it, yeah. uh, they stick around. Get out around. of my heart. Yeah, get out of my heart, man. It's like cholesterol. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's my demon. Don't get, don't get me demon. started. Yeah, I, I think this is this is really cool. Uh, great action, <laughs> a lot of gore. Um, and, By the uh, way, did I tell you guys about the other day when my wife came home and she found me naked in front of an iron, just like going ham on some cheese? And she was like, no, that's your devil. Your yeah. devil is getting into your heart. Alex fucks cheese. <laughs> I wasn't fucking it unless I was putting it naked. in one of my holes, but oh, it was my mouth boy. hole. Oh, boy. Shouts to that. Keep that up. You chose yeah. the right I hole. I was over Alex- line with fart humor, and you're fucking <laughs> railing yourself with cheese. All right, cool guy. <laughs> That's top of the hill, Pete. That's top yeah, of the hill. Yeah. <laughs> Cheese rolls um, all the way. This is a, your classic Luna Brothers uh, story with lots of random stabbing and uh, and big emotional tragedy at the same time. Uh, I I did like Sword and some of the other Luna Brothers stuff, so I, this does uh, scratch an itch for me. I'm very happy for you. Carnage number three from Marvel, written by Torin Grumbach, art by Per Perez. We are following two Carnages now. An old Carnage who loves setting himself on fire and a young Carnage who is Carnage. Um, and meanwhile, Flash Thompson is being framed for Carnage's crimes in a absolutely awful way. I still was not looking forward to a Carnage book. And even though I like Torrin Grodbeck and I like Per Perez on the art and I like the first two issues of this, going into this, I was like, ah, Carnage, no thank you. But every issue, this gets me. It is just very intense. If you're a fan of movies, like Seven, I guess, is probably the best comparison here. Things like that that are just gruesome and uh, twisty. Uh, This is great. Yeah, this book does a good job of combining sort of like philosophical horror with uh, with actual body horror. And it's a carnage that isn't just like a laughing sociopath, which I think is sort of like the standard carnage. And I like this feels like it. there's more meaning happening here. And we're setting up for a great flash anti-venom versus carnage uh, battle. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in where this is going. I'm not having as much fun with the, like, you know, eating somebody and then puking them back up just to mm-hmm. kind of, like, consume them again a little bit. So that part was a little a little too much. But uh, well, Have you ever had a dog? That's what they do all the time. <laughs> they barf stuff up and then consume it later. Yeah. Oh, okay. They eat their own barf. He wasn't talking. I was like, wondering because I, I don't remember my dog like hanging up its meat and then cutting it open and eating its fucking brains. You know what I mean? What breed did you have? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of breeds do that. <laughs> uh, I had a Carnage Shepherd. Oh, yeah, that, yeah that'll a symbiote. <laughs> <laughs> symbiote terrier. Yep. Uh, it, it was a crossbreed. Alan Scott, The Green Lantern, number four from DC Comics, written by Tim Sheridan, art by Sian Torme. Last issue, we found out that the secret identity of Red Lantern, the villain who has been plaguing our main Green Lantern, is in fact his ex-boyfriend. Uh. This issue, it gets worse. 
Like, I legitimately yeah. thought we were going to have a heartwarming, emotional twist in this issue. But instead, Tim Sheridan stabs the knife right into your heart, twists it yep. around, pulls out your heart, and makes you look at it the entire time. Which is to say, fantastic emotional stakes set up in this issue. Uh, Sian Torby also drawing the heck out of it. There is a scene late in the issue where... Uh, spoilers here, but Alan Scott is on one side of an energy construct and Red Lantern is on the other side and he emotionally connects with him. So good. Felt everything over the course of that scene. This book is punching so far above his weight. Uh, If you're not picking it up, um, what are you doing? Go do that right now. (laughs) (laughs) To find, to find, I mean, this is sort of like the villain tell all issue. And to find those emotional connective moments at a time where the the villain is twisting the knife, I thought was amazing. I want to shout out uh, this great one-two punch uh, at the beginning of the issue where Red Lantern's talking about how he rose through the Russian military. I'd heard they sometimes pluck soldiers from the field and turn them into spies. Next page. So I let him pluck me, and it's him. They're buttoning their clothes after they had uh, had sex, presumably. Yeah. Just perfectly done wordplay and well done across the from the visual and the fact that it was across a page i thought was excellent so just really well plotted and then the the last page i thought was absolutely badass this series is great yeah agreed with everything that's being said it's really impressive the twists and turns here the really kind of uh, uh playing with our emotions in in all the right ways but it's also a kind of heartbreaking, uh, insane ending. I really artistically, the Red Lantern stuff is just really all sorts of uh, villainous in all the great ways. So um, it's a yeah, it's heartbreaking, but it's also kind of worth it and and really uh, creatively awesome. Wolverine number 42 from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy and Victor Laval, art by Corey Smith. This is continuing the Sabretooth War storyline, where Sabretooth, in order to celebrate Wolverine's birthday, has brought a bunch of Sabretooth throughout the multiverse to kill absolutely everybody that he loves and cares about in front of him. They've already killed Dokken, they've killed Quentin Quire, and now they're coming after everybody else, particularly Laura, a.k.a. X-23, uh, but the rest of X-Force as well. How is this going on the same time <laughs> as X-Force is, I guess, one of my big questions. Yeah. Uh, but yep. this is so insanely intense and gross. I'm, I mean, which is exactly what it should be, given a Sabretooth birthday surprise, like a classic Sabretooth birthday surprise. But this is this is a lot. And we just talked about Carnage two books ago. Yeah, it's it's really insane. It's uh, first off, it's a little disappointing that, you know, like. Every year, Sabretooth attacks Wolverine on his birthday. So the fact that, like, Sabretooth got the drop on Wolverine this year is a little disappointing. I understand how he did it. He overpowered him with all these Sabretooths. That makes sense. But the fact that Wolverine was just kind of like, oh, what? Oh, It's okay. Lucy with the football. If, like, Lucy absolutely ripped apart Snoopy and then showed I know, Snoopy's but just, like, have Charlie some Brown. respect for the like reader. 50 headless Lucys with... Show and up, just be like, kill. 
Wolverine, have him know what day is coming. Have him at least like get prepared and then get killed. You know what I mean? The uh, fact Pete. that he's like, oh, what? You know, and then, it, you know, I just was like, come on, man. Like, this isn't the first time Sabretooth has done this. So, like, why are we acting like it is? Uh, Pete, Wolverine's busy. You, have you seen his his Google calendar? It's insane. He's got yeah, layers I tr- and layers. I tried to of get meetings. a meeting with him twice, and it's like he's uh, in Zooms. He can't uh, remember. It's his yeah. birthday. And he, like, has, he has a recurring meeting. Sabretooth is going to try to kill everybody I love, but yeah. like it doesn't pop up a notification, so he forgets about it. You know? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I I do like this. This feels like true end of days X Men story where they're like. Yeah, we did the beast thing where there are like 10 beasts and 50 wolverines. So now we're going to do 100 saber tooths and I don't know, whatever else. (laughs) It it feels like weird math. It's like story math of like, let's get this crazy. The the Laura stuff in this issue, uh, tragic. I actually really like X-Force being here uh, in this. I like the sort of turnaround we get in this issue. The fact that this is part two of 12 (laughs) is insane. I feel like this is literally the penultimate issue. Wolverine cuts off through his ligaments, leaving his adamantium bones. He's fighting Sabretooth with like weird soup hands <laughs> that I'm like, what? How is this part two? This is the beginning. Yeah. yeah. It, He's got I, soup hands. Soup hands and part two. Soup hands. Well, I think that's despite everything that I said, why I think this is so great right now, because you expect exactly Super. like Pete saying, you expect, you always expect soup heads. Uh, you yeah. expect that Sabretooth in versus Wolverine. It's going to be tragic. It's going to be gut wrenching, emotional. Yeah. So they know that. So they are basically like, what if we write the last Sabretooth versus Wolverine story? What would that be like? And it's not going to be, there's going to be more than them, but the fact that they are really going for it and putting absolutely everything on the table here is great. I imagine there's going to be some sort of time travel involved at some point, because how else do you fix any of this? Well, I think they're going to re I mean, this is, since this is a 12 part story, Right. I think they're just going to run it through to when the X universe somehow reboots. But I I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe there will be that. But I feel like running out. Benjamin Percy writes like he's literally driving a go kart off a cliff. (laughs) He's like, let me just finish this. (laughs) I just think that, like, you know. Wolverine suit pants moving forward is going to be a tough sell. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you think that's the new status quo? He's got suit pants from Yeah, yeah because... Super well, what if his... It, we've never found out a secondary mutation. What if his secondary mutation is soup out of his hands? Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. He's definitely making a lot of minestrone right now. <laughs> Looks like he's got pure uh, minestrone coming out of his hand. Uh, I, they, nothing yum, better yum. happened to X-23 because she's my goddamn favorite. Yeah. I last thing that I'll say and then we can move on. How Corey Smith is drawing anguished Wolverine is so oh, hard to see. So particularly good. because we've had years at this point of Wolverine being like, Yeah, nothing phases me. To see something phase him is like, oh no, this is this He's phased bad. This also the claws in the side of the head by X twenty three was really awesome. That was great. great. Stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. I'm I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do is put chili out my right hand. Different soups for each hand? Or is it the same Definitely. soup? Yeah. 
No, it's soup of the day. That's his day. Yeah, he's got one one standard. (laughs) What's soup du jour? Soup of the day. Ooh, that sounds nice. I'll have that. Uh, Great. Now, the hardest question is to ask Wolverine what his left-hand soup of the day is. I would (laughs) You don't want to know what my right-hand soup of the day is. It's Italian wedding, bub. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me pop my soup. Uh, <laughs> Dark Ride number 10 From Image Comics Written by Joshua Williamson Art by Andre Bresson We're finally getting to it here And finding out the mythology Of this dark devil-infused theme park Where nobody's getting fucked in front of a fire But several people are getting torn apart Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it I really like this book um, I We talked to Joshua Williamson a little bit about it When he was on the we show We did? We did. We did. Yes. So I love the mythology that is building here. I love finding out that maybe the people we thought were evil are maybe not quite evil in exactly the same way. Um, there's some great twists and turns. And of course, Andre Bresson's art, just his creature uh, designs in particular, are so cool. Oh, my God. There's yeah. a great death in the middle of this issue oh. that is just immaculately done by Andre Bresson. <sighs> Too, this book, two much. issues left, I believe, uh, to close out the excuse me, to close out the story. And this has been like so many twists and turns. I've just uh, loved this uh, great follow up to Birthright. I hope these this team keeps making stuff forever. Pete, too scary for you? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's uh, it's too scary, but it's yeah, artistically, it's really impressive. Deadly Hands of Kung Fu Gang War, number two from Marvel, written by Greg Pak, art by Kayo Majado. We are following Shang-Chi as ostensibly he's supposed to stay out of the gang war. He gets kind of suckered into it in this issue. And by the end, the villains aren't coming for him. The heroes are Pete. What'd you think about this? More not as scary? Yeah, this was great. Um, I kind of uh, really enjoy the... Shang-Chi kind of lawyer team up situation we had in this. And um, yeah, they, she, she's as foggy. She's as foggy. Yeah, that's she's great. foggy. If Daredevil was like bone and foggy, you know what I'm oh, talking about? You, you know, there's nothing wrong with do that. Think, Anyways, do, do you think Daredevil has ever walked in on fa- foggy, completely naked in front of a fire? Like doing the definitely. Doing the Anyways, don't you think so, Pete? Pete, did, oh, sorry. Did you I, not hear Alex's question? He asked I you heard it. I yeah. heard it. And then I bet when Matt said, like, oh, no, the daredevil has gotten my oh, partner. Boy. Anyway, yeah. Greg Pak's an amazing writer. This is just fantastic stuff. Um, and, yeah, I'm a big fan of Shang-Chi, so this was uh, glorious in a lot of ways. I feel like Greg Pak should write a Shang-Chi series. This feels like it's jamming a bunch of stuff. Like, this story is ostensibly about the gang war, but we get a bunch of like relationship stuff that feels like it just feels a little overstuffed when I want this to be an ongoing where we're doing that stuff and then touching on the gang war rather than just cramming it all in because there's only one issue left of this. Like, I don't think we're going to follow up on his relationship we might ongoing maybe, but like it just feels like this feels like there's ongoing story elements in a limited series that I wish was an ongoing series. 
Yeah. I do like his girlfriend shocked face the way Kyle yes, Machado great eyeballs. <laughs> Very funny. Um, Trinity special number one from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Daniel Sempera and Belen Ortega. This is a collection of the backup stories about Trinity and the Super Sons that have run through a bunch of books. I think there's a couple of extra pages from Daniel Sempera, but maybe I'm imagining them. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, whatever it is, if you miss that stuff, you could check it out here. I thought there was going to be a whole new story in this, but I don't think there is. It, it's a nice package, though. I really liked especially the first two, the, the babysitting um, flip-flop where yeah. uh, we get to see Damien babysitting a younger Trinity and then uh, Superman and Damien, I guess, technically – Messing up when they're supposed to be sort of paying attention to Trinity. Those were are very fun. The art's fantastic. We have read these before, but this feels like if you want to really see the whole Trinity character as a whole, Art, this yeah. this lays it all out. Yeah, this is great. I really think it's uh, adorable in all the right ways and touching in all the right ways. I, I thought the. Uh, you know, the jump kick was really fun and uh, the kind of like, how do you control somebody who is a badass uh, superhero? So, yeah, I just think it's a, it's a fun problems to have and really artistically well executed. Yeah. Last but not least, Duke number two from Image Comics, written by Joshua Williamson. Once again, art by Tom Riley. Duke is on the run after discovering the Transformers, and he's being chased down by a bunch of members of, I don't think we've said G.I. Joe out loud, but a bunch of members of G.I. Joe, leading to... Oh, they're Joes. Oh, yo, Joes. They, leading to a surprise character, of course, at the end of the issue, who shows up to potentially team up with Duke. Pete, you see A character we all knew the name of is saw them. Right? right? Did you guys know? We all knew. That's what I'm saying. We so all knew. We'll count at three and we'll all say what it is? Um, no, that would be spoiling. We can't uh, do that. Uh, we okay. could never just say that. That would be crazy. Yeah, or do we want to give a wait. little spoiler, say, little spoiler yeah. space? And then, no, know. we could wait seven seconds for one or more of us to Google it before we say it. Though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, it was the spoilers. It was Baroness, and it was really well done, and I, uh, I really loved it. Baroness. Okay. Yeah, so she's, she's like I'm the only GI Joe head. She's in this royalty, bunch. right? Like she's royalty. Like that's her power. Like she nope. has the power of a lady baron. She she's like a Meghan Markle. Wow, you guys are really Meghan Markle's a princess. Yeah, so oh, she's well, like that's... below. She's like she works for Meghan Markle. Oh my yeah. god, what she's like happening? her assistant on suits. <laughs> this is interesting. I thought it was just. Was, really... I'm sorry. Was this character at the end? Was she on suits? <laughs> That's a great if question. So, which season? Um, I just thought that, like, uh, I loved all the action. I loved the reveal at the end. I just, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. The, love the rock and roll uh, uh, shout out here. So I, I just, I'm having a great time. More, please. I'm, I'm eating this up. This is just a ton of fun. Let me ask you, this is a hypothetical piece, so this isn't right. real. But mm-hmm. hypothetically, if I read this, that last panel is like, that's Lady J. Not am I a God. bad per? Am I a bad person for thinking that hypothetically? No, you're not a bad person. You just got some characters confused. That happens all the time. What if? Okay, hypothetically, hypothetically, what if I read this issue and I got to the last page and I saw the lady there and I was like, that's Baroness. And my next thought was like, I don't know what that means though. 
<laughs> well, again, it, all hypotheticals. It means that uh, you know we've got people locked up that are on both sides. So you got Cobras mm. and Joes kind of next both to sides. each other. So yeah. uh, it'll be interesting. So to see. she works for Cobra. Yeah. Like, does she yeah. work for? So I'm a little confused about the power structure in Cobra. So there's Cobra Commander, <laughs> and there's Destro, and there's Baroness. Who's in charge? Because Destro in this Cobra issue, Commander. I think. But Destro's the one on the the throne, and there's flames behind him, right? Who's like tapping his fingers a little bit this issue? Well, yeah, Destro's next in charge, uh, oh. but he shares the responsibility with Baroness, you know. But Cobra Commander doesn't like to listen so to people's like more ideas. So it's like more of like a uh, democracy. No, no. It's a They all share, oh, share power. So who's the dictator then? Cobra Commander. Okay, but he seems to be just like a scientist who's working there right now over in his series. Sorry, was that Evil Lynn who's in the jail cell at the end? From He-Man? <laughs> That wasn't Evil Lynn's catchphrase, so I don't think so. Her Wait, she said her catchphrase, Baroness? <laughs> <laughs> what did she say at the end of the issue? What's Evil Lynn's catchphrase? I'm well, in jail. I'm <laughs> Evil Lynn. That's what she says all the time. That's her catchphrase? It's her name? I'm, I'm like sorry, Lynn, I have a follow-up question. People like this? Yes. But, oh, let okay. me say, I wish Baroness's catchphrase was, I'm Baroness, the reveal at the end of this issue. Well, you're not <laughs> uh, a big enough fan. I really like this comic, actually, despite everything that we're saying great. here, particularly Tom Riley's art is great. The character ah, designs are great. great. I did miss a little bit of the conspiracy thriller feel of the first issue here because it was just pretty yeah, much straight action. Away. But yeah. Tom Riley draws great action, so... It's all good. I I agree. I really like this. Uh, I didn't miss the conspiracy. I'm hoping we're going to get back to that. This felt like everyone was calling out Duke for buying into that conspiracy theory. And then it was sort of proven true by what happened. This felt like, hey, they're just buddies having fun. Joe's even Mm -hmm. um, connecting and getting back together because he got he got to hang out with uh, Junk Pile and then um, Junk Pile, you fucking (laughs) asshole, man. And then Gun 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 showed up. <laughs> Am I, just let me know if I'm getting these names right or wrong. You're not. You're not. Okay. Gun Gun Gun. If you like support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic. If you like being a also, also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Please come out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Android, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show, but not Google Podcasts, which is going away at the end of March. Please, if you subscribe there, subscribe literally any other platform at Comic Book Live on Twitter slash X, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com. For this podcast and many more, until next time, we'll see you at the Comic Book Club. Woo-hoo. So wait, he's a, there's a duke and a baroness? Is this like a royal family thing? Oh my god. Hello!
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.